Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 685 of the Milk Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show this week, Sean Leonard letting us know all about his film Tough to Rough. Welcome along to episode 685 of the Milk Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show this week, Sean Leonard let us know all about his film Too Rough. It's currently doing the rounds of the film festivals and we'll be finding out how you can watch it in the not too distant future yourselves. Tyra Kelsey will be along to let us know about a fantastic night of the music of Mario Lanza. That's coming up on the 25th of August. Full details there in a short while's time. Plus, we will also be finding out about the things that we can do to continue to protect our environment. We heard so much about the COP26 last year, which was looking at climate change, but also there's one that also checks out biodiversity too. So Rob Cheeseright letting us know how that can work as he gives us some more information about that and the work that he does at Pinwheel too. That's all on the way on the show this week. Now, there's going to be a fantastic evening of music coming up on the 25th of August. Tara Kelsey is here to tell me more. Hello, Sia. Hi there, Jason. Yes, we have a a lovely evening. It's the uh, sequel to last year's concert, Be My Love, that um, took place at Dormston Mill Theatre with our Italian tenor, Simone Francesco Leconti. Um, We're back again with our sequel this year, The Loveliest Night of the Year. Um, We had such a a wonderful reception and there's so many Mario Malanza fans. And I think that uh, having um, a professional Italian touring tenor fly in um to be the star of of the concert and show was was quite a unique thing for the people of the black country and uh and like mario lanza the whole essence of these events is to bring opera and the popular crossover ballads that mario made so um famous in in the um 50s Mm -hmm. um all those popular ballads that that he did so to to bring those to people as well yeah i mean he made opera accessible and whether it be uh on record or his performances uh, around the world uh he really brought to to life this music and you know, the the fact that the songs that he made famous uh, live on and the, the fact that we've got such an amazing voice uh bringing this to the stage in a, a fantastic little venue i mean Dormston uh, mill theater is a beautiful place to sit back and watch any production and you know, when the music is sort of bellowing i think is probably the best way of describing it from the stage it is a, such a, a lively sound and the fact that you know, you've got such great support there for the the, the sound of this man's voice too Yes, I mean, so so many people love Mario Lanza, and just just the name Mario Lanza brings a whole generation um, forward in into the theatre, um, an, an older generation of, of people. But w- what we found also is um, 
generations uh, like myself people that uh, grew up with Mario Lanza fell in love with his his voice his music so you you actually have um the children of of those moms and dads mm -hmm. bring bring them and the grandchildren i i, I have calls saying oh you know my my granddad he saw he saw the Mario Lanza um article in the paper and he, he wants to come and and then before you know it, you've got a new generation of Mario Lanza fans. So it kind of just the the whole essence that we're we're trying to create and, and bring is to to keep Mario Lanza's legacy and and, and uh, his music conti continue that and, and and people just they just love it. They get they get lost in those old songs and. Uh, yeah, we even have a uh, piano solo mid-show with some of his greatest hits and the whole uh, audience uh, sing along, which is fantastic because I, I like them to be part part of the concert, mm -hmm. part of the show. And for me, it's never like singing to strangers. Um, it's like family because my dad was from the black country and most of the people that come I, I I know some personally or I've I've spoken to on the phone as well so there's a instant connection and it, it's lovely in the Dormstone theatre it's mm -hmm. it's intimate and it's like singing to family mm -hmm. that's the only way I can describe it yeah and many people maybe even have come to his, his music through the fact he was a staple on christmas albums in the 80s and into the 90s with a, with a festive classic and then uh, you obviously got the the rest of this music and a second outing for this concert and this performer means you've got another opportunity to bring even more songs that uh, you know, will they'll be the, the favorites that we we expect but equally the the other songs which we, you maybe didn't have time for last time round Oh yes, we've got we've got um obviously there's um some of the old favourites still in there in the program, but there's a whole new selection of um songs that everyone loves by uh, Mario to to enjoy um, some of the the wonderful classics like um, because as well everybody uh, knows that one um, and. Enrico Caruso, who was Mario Lanza's idol, of course, he he made the old ballads like uh, "Because" uh, famous, and uh, so yeah, we've got some lovely, lovely new new uh, songs and pieces in in the program, mm -hmm. which is is wonderful. There's there's so many. I'm trying to off the top, top, top <laughs> of my my, um, but. Uh, the plan, the planning of it all is, uh, oh, it's it's quite a whirlwind. But I could imagine it is, know. and I mean, it'd, it'd always be interesting to see what would have happened with his music had he have survived through into the 60s. Sadly, uh, you know, his health uh, saw him pass away in 1959, but it would have been amazing to see him develop through an era where there would have been even more opportunities on TV and, 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 and all sorts to bring his music to the masses, which is exactly what you're doing here. So uh, give us the lineup for the whole night because it's, it's not just one male voice on stage, is it? No, it's um, on stage we have... Um, Obviously, it has stars, Simone Francesco Liconti, our Italian tenor, who um, actually arrives back in the UK next uh, weekend, next mm -hmm. Sunday, a week, a week today. Can't believe it's so uh, close. 
because we have um, other other things as well as as the concert um, at Dormston that, that we're doing. But I myself um, will be will be joining him. So I'm I'm the organizer, but also his his co-star, if you like. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we have the wonderful, talented um, multi instrumentalist. That's the only way I can describe Joby Sullivan from Birmingham um, at the piano. But there's a few surprises because he doesn't stay at the piano. He generally brings the accordion as well, and and at some point in the uh, at concert there'll be a Neapolitan song pop up and, and Joby will jump from piano to accordion and uh yeah it's he, it's fantastic having him on board. Well it will be amazing and I know your voice is truly outstanding as well even though I know you 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 you, you deserve beaking up but I know you won't do that beat yourself but I, you wouldn't be there if you weren't talented we know that and you are absolutely awesome so that's going to be brilliant to hear too. Yeah. It is is a Thursday night it's the 25th of August 7:30 start Dormston Mill Theatre please give us the details on how we get hold of tickets. Right so you can you can book tickets online um by visiting ct, uh, ct.co.uk forward slash the loveliest night of the year or um you can call me directly uh on 07957 two. So um, give, give us that, both those details again for those grabbing pens and paper. Right so it's ct dot co dot uk forward slash the loveliest night of the year and that's for online ticket bookings mm-hmm. or people if they want more information or to book via myself they can contact me on my mobile on oh seven nine five seven double six one treble two well, Tara Kelsey, you are a star in your own right, and you'll be uh, even yeah, the, the glorious sunshine from the whole event is is, is going to shine down on, on you and all the audience. It's going to be an amazing night of the music of Mario Lanza, and it will be a treat for all who attend. Thank you for joining us. Have a brilliant time. Break a leg, I do have to say, and uh, we look forward to uh, the event taking place at the Dormston Mill coming up on the 25th of August. Um, Thank you, thank you so much. Lovely to speak to you again, Jason, and have a nice day. We're approaching that time of year when there's gonna be another COP summit. That's not too far away. There's also an awful lot more going on in the world of biodiversity that we need to be thinking about, in addition to the fact that this hot weather hasn't come about without cause. Our environmental correspondent, Mr. Robert Cheeserite, joins me now from Vanata. Hello, sir. Hey, how are you? I'm all right. I trust we're finding everything good in your world, give or take climate change and the other things we have to worry about. Yeah, all is well, actually. I didn't love the 40 degree warmth that we had the other week and mm-hmm. we're about another heat wave, aren't we? But um, yeah, all, all is well. So what are we seeing at the moment? Because the, the, the press tend to get a bit excited, make comparisons to 1976, et cetera, et cetera, so whenever the weather gets a bit warmer. But this does have an impact, and not only on the fact that things could be changing rather rapidly, but also we mentioned briefly biodiversity. That is all going to be hit by this sort of weather, even if it is only for brief periods of time. Yeah, exactly. It's all linked, and I think that's the thing that, uh, I often talk about and try and get across is almost everything is one kind of big connected 
system. And so climate change affects biodiversity, biodiversity loss accelerates climate change. But then the opposite is true. Some of the best answers we've got for dealing with climate change are enhance biodiversity, increase nature, rewild, make our seas more abundant. Um, and some of the best climate solutions are, are also good for biodiversity. So it's sort of all these things are sort of the same sides of a multi-sided coin. I should have gone with dice, shouldn't I? <laughs> and so, so that's all really important stuff. And we're seeing this. This is a big year now because we had COP26. And for people that don't uh, haven't heard me lots, you know, we talked a lot about COP26, didn't we, last autumn? We did. It was quite a big, big event and it made quite a lot of progress. They're now sort of stumbling towards COP27 in Egypt. Whilst that's happening, a lot of the major countries in the world are starting to make progress. So America is about to pass a big climate change piece of legislation, their first one ever. And that will that will release billions of pounds for, for action. Australia is starting to get a bit more with the picture since they had a change of government. So all of a sudden, things change between COPs and that, that will change the way that COP27 works. On biodiversity, there's a whole other set of COPs. So we've got something called COP15 happening at the end of this year in Canada, albeit hosted by the Chinese uh, for a whole load of very confusing reasons. And that is looking to see if it can create, similar to the, the COP for climate change process, the same sort of process for biodiversity. Can we year on year increase the amount of protection we've got for nature and it's it's quite an important one and there are there are high hopes that we will get that kind of climate change style international agreement that we have for climate but we need for biodiversity so it's a bit breathless there sorry jason but there's a lot <laughs> going on good progress actually um and but some really big international events happening at the end of the year yeah and again this is it things we need to, to have in the news, we need to be talking about. And uh, whilst, yes, we can do some bits and pieces, using less fuel, using uh, recycled materials, it's all part of a message for big business. But the reality is we can't change a hell of a lot. We can do our bit, and as long as we do our bit, we know we're getting somewhere. But on the scale of things, what we can do is quite small, but still vitally important. Yeah, and, and the sort of... All of the research around this suggests that there are sort of two big ways that human beings individually can make a difference. One is through raising our voices where we can, and that doesn't necessarily mean gluing, gluing yourself to the roads uh, like Extinction Rebellion, but you know, it's possible to write to politicians, to complain when you see a company doing the wrong thing, to ask them to stock greener products and things like that. So often your voice is as powerful as your choices. Um, and, you know, we, we put on our website a list of things that you can do to kind of be a, uh, an easy activist without having to, you know, paint yourself or the road or any of that stuff. You know, quick ways you can try and make a difference. The yeah, practical thing things that you can do. I mean, that's, that's the thing. And it's a, it, it, consumer power is huge. I'm not understating it. It is vitally important that consumer power is there, even though physically it may not make a difference immediately further down the line, wanting to use glass bottles instead of plastic. Uh, I have my milk delivered uh, in, in glass bottles, that sort of thing. It, it, I, I've saved this much plastic, but actually, it, if everyone saved this much plastic, we'd be somewhere better off. Yeah, and it's that stuff that actually then adds up because it's bizarrely, it's not necessarily your glass 
versus plastic that makes the difference. But the example effect happens quite quickly. And we notice this in other areas of our life. All of a sudden, you'll find some of your neighbours get glass bottles and then some of their neighbours. And you create this, this, this effect. And it's the power of example is often the most important thing. And we're very modest, British people in particular. We don't like to shout from the rooftops. But actually, that's weirdly the most effective thing you can do is every time you take a green action, whether it's going for a, a going for the glass bottles or choosing a, a meat alternative for a meal or, you know, all of that stuff, shout about it immodestly, bravely, and just say, look at the great stuff I'm doing, because then other people do it. And that that's actually the, the thing that accelerates progress. Mm-hmm. On, <laughs> um, on, on biodiversity, we've got amazing opportunities. I talked, I think I talked to you about seagrass before. I found out the other day that not only does seagrass suck up carbon 35 times faster than land-based trees, it also collects up plastic. Wow. So one of the things we've got in the world is that we've got so much plastic we're creating that we're starting to choke up the oceans and it's microplastics in the oceans is one of the most worrying of the environmental crises we've got. Not probably as worrying as climate change, but you know, it's, a, it's an issue. Seagrasses collect up the microplastics into balls and that then removes it from the system. So we've got this this kind of plastic removing pump naturally created in the world for us. So restoring seagrasses, not only does that sequester carbon, remove carbon much faster than land-based trees, but it could also help us with the plastic crisis. That is absolutely amazing. And yeah, it, it's just research, it's finding these things that happen. We, we've got tools to protect the planet from us and uh, you know, make sure that we can continue using it as a viable source of uh, of our own systems. Exactly that, and and not only does it help us protect the planet and ourselves, but it's it's the route to a more inspiring, more beautiful, more habitable world. You know, we all love our wild spaces. You know, the sea has been depleted of its fish stocks, um, and is becoming a less wild place. Well, let's bring it back. I think one of the most important things that we could do collectively and yes this this largely does require governments and big business is to try and rewild the area around us to try and make the you know nature's spaces as big as possible because if we can do that that's how that's kind of how we save ourselves but that's also how we get to have a nice existence too Um, i'll give one last example because i know i talk really fast and for a long time (laughs) whales are one of the most amazing creatures in the world whales you know, are inspiring. Whales are a carbon removal mechanism. Whales throughout their lifetime, through their digestive process, enable the oceans to suck up more carbon. Not only that, but when they die, they drop to the ocean floor. They then have so much carbon in their body that then gets, that lives in the carbon floor and is locked away forever. It's called whale drop. So one of the most powerful carbon removing things in the world is a whale and so if we stop bycatches and if we can be have more efficient uh, fishing processes that don't mean we end up taking lots of whales out of the ocean that will help us deal with climate change mm-hmm. no, I mean, it's, it's amazing these things that that are there and as I say whales have been hunted on to the verge of extinction in many cases for some of the the larger species uh, others are still in danger and uh, there's um uh, a, a big story. I mean, I mean, that's something that Save the Whale started, what, in the 60s, 70s? Yeah, absolutely. And, and we did it then because we were starting to understand, you know, these are hugely intelligent creatures. It offended our conscious consciences, I guess. 
Well, we're now finding out that actually every time we take a whale out of the ocean and hunt it, we're destroying ourselves. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's one of one of the worst things we could do to, to kind of create a livable planet for ourselves is to hunt whales. And and so, um, yeah, the, and it's it's the sort of the thread that runs throughout everything is it's all connected. And the more we protect nature, the more we protect ourselves. And so that that's the, the big thing, really, is, is and, 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 and all of the, the projects that Pinwheel supports are like this. They're, 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 they're nature protection is because the more we learn, the more we realize the best thing you can do really is take something, make it more wild again, protect mm-hmm. it forever rather than intervening lots or and things like that. And that's alongside electric cars and different diets and and not buying so much stuff and all the other things that we we know we need to do but nature is probably our big great hope the seas and land for 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 a a wilder greener livable world that's actually brilliant to live in as well Mm -hmm. it's important yeah, and it's, it's, it's that pleasant world that we want to live in that uh, it will, will, will make a huge difference to us. So COP15 for the world of biodiversity and uh, and the animals is, is taking place. So remind us again what the COP stands for. Yes, yeah, so it's the, the Committee of Parties. It's it's essentially the, the UN countries come together, United Nations countries come together to reach international agreements. So as I say, there's one... Uh, in Egypt on climate change, and then there's another one in Canada on biodiversity, both happening at the end of the year. Essentially, all of the big governments coming together to, to agree how to how to try and save the world, mm-hmm. whilst also being, um, you know, they will have national interest. Yeah. So, have- so who are the people though who are going to be delegates there? Who should we be writing to now? Well, emailing to save on the carbon footprint to get a message across that there is a unity in the people of the UK that says we want our world protecting. So it's our government. We 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 need to write to our government. Um, big big companies attend, uh, and also activists. You know, so joining Friends of the Earth or your your local uh, wetland trust, all of these things add up and add your voice to it. So if if those organisations attend and say, you know, we've got millions of members behind this, then that adds your voice. So joining, even joining your local wildlife trust, joining your local Friends of the Earth, that can be quite impactful in the long run. And it, it's, it's, it's about that message. And if you know, with the work that you do at Pinwheel, what, uh, and I know this is where the, the, the seagrass uh, you know, information and, and this sort of thing is coming from, which is amazing to hear. But with the work that you do, what else have you got going on at the moment? Because you, you don't just turn up for a COP event. You are working the whole year round. The big thing we're, we're, we're doing at the moment, so I'm, I'm starting to work with a peatland project in uh, Belgium. So peatland is that stores loads of carbon i mean the peatland in north belgium and uh, the netherlands stores more carbon than all of northern europe's forests so protecting peatland and re-wetting it is a huge deal so we do stuff like that but the big the big thing we want is businesses to come forward and fund this stuff with us so if there's anyone listening who you know they they run a business or they have influence in a business and they they're wondering what to do about repairing the planet how to do the right thing Coming and talking to Pinwheel is probably, a, we would recommend come and talk to us because we can help them find the best way to do the right thing for the planet. 
And, and is it possible to do this in our local area? Because I mean, we've got we've got woodland around the area. Uh, we've we've got obviously Staffordshire's on our doorstep and Shropshire, amazing green spaces. And uh, is it going to be a local project which we can help out with? Yeah, in the UK, everywhere there is, you know, there are local wetland trusts and wildlife trusts. There are rewilding organisations. So the rewilding Britain network has now got, I think, ninety projects across Britain. So I I can guarantee, and I. If I was really forward thinking, I'd have come up with a really good local list for you, mm-hmm. Jason. Maybe I should do that next time. We'll do that next within, time. <laughs> within 30 miles of you, there will be lots of brilliant projects going on. And yeah, through those projects, so you, not only will you get the opportunity to, to make a difference, but actually it'll be blooming enjoyable to do as well. I know that uh, one, of, one of my colleagues, Zoe Turner, she's been working in, uh, in Shifnal just up the road, uh, reference getting more trees in the place. And, uh, you know, it, that, that sort of thing. And that, that's a starting point, isn't it? Exactly. And when you can see your local area changing and you see progress for the first time, that's the that's the really, um, you know, that's what builds you up to do more. And yeah, doing it locally. We're, we're going to go and do an ocean, a, a, a beach cleanup at some point. So all of those, any action you can take in your local area or when you're on holiday, um, all of that stuff is really great. Getting your hands dirty and doing it is mm-hmm. quite uh, but, but equally, it's, it's, it's not creating the mess in the first place. So if it's something that you can do that avoids it, yeah, avoid microplastics, uh, avoid using yeah, the, the, these long-lasting materials where we don't need to use them. Uh, if, if we all stopped buying plastic bottles of drink and used aluminium cans, then obviously there's still an impact from the aluminium can, but it's not producing microplastics. Yeah, and you know, aluminium is infinitely more recyclable and... You know, the, the, the danger of microplastics is so it's not yet fully understood, but it's every time we wash our clothes, it washes off our clothes and in, in, into the rivers. Um, we're seeing people laying plastic grass and that every time it rains, it washes the microplastics off the plastic grass and isn't a biodiversity hotspot. You know, so we're we're making lots of choices that add a plastic burden to our world. And yeah, it would be good if we stopped. <laughs> we, we did less less plastic. Uh, yeah, it's, it's something overall and uh, it i i the, the, the bag for life concept now i know there's a few supermarkets now knocking back on the bag for life and it's no longer a bag for life and you, so getting them recycled is going to become harder if they stop taking them back off their customers and that sort of thing is awarded because that was a major step forward taking a bag back to a store it then going into the recycling process whereas now it's much more likely once again to end up in landfill yeah, and, and, and this goes back to the point you made earlier, wasn't it? Us as individuals, we're so at the mercy of the choices that governments make or businesses make. You know, we could recycle more if our local authority had more facilities for us to do so. So, you know, we should never beat ourselves up that we that bag for life ends up being a rubbish bin in, and then having to go to landfill and because that wasn't entirely in our gift. That That's kind of where, where our power lies if we're prepared to use it is to you know bang on that supermarket's door and say no you need to help us recycle these we are not mm. we will stop shopping with you unless you do the right thing mm. yeah so I, I love the fact that co-op have biodegradable bags and I, I feel much less guilty about using one of those for putting the rubbish out in than anything else on the grounds that i know it is going to break down hopefully yeah, I, I don't know the time scales on it but it's going to be less than 20 30 years instead of 300 yeah i mean and that's it i mean we are talking about those kind of time scales i mean plastic can last pretty much forever that all the plastic we've ever used in our lives it's still all out there none of it's really gone away so anything that can break down even if it's decades actually that's that's a win compared to kind of your normal plastic which it, it will be there long after us
Yeah. And so choosing those products who that are, are providing recyclable or at least carbon capturing packaging. I mean, the fact if, if something's wrapped in paper and preferably brown paper rather than bleached, then you've still got a, an improvement over all the other plastic or film options. Uh, I think if we forget cellophane used to be an environmentally friendly thing because it was made of trees, uh, but uh, it, it tends to be more of a, of a, of a plastic film. Uh, we buy chocolate bars and they're double wraps in impossible to destroy film sometimes. It, it's crazy. I mean, yeah, I mean, some of the stuff that, that we see in shops just, it blows my mind. You know, we, I was, I was buying sort of malt loaf type things for my daughter, you know, it, the, the packing is, is, plastic and every single one of them is also individually wrapped in plastic why yeah if it's individually wrapped in plastic to keep it fresh that makes some sort of sense because you're not wasting a product you may have a longer shelf life but wrap it in paper afterwards yeah i mean there's so there's, there's lots of ways we can do it but and you know this is why we should never beat up ourselves when we when we can't find the right the green option because at the moment it doesn't all exist for us so you know if we all became a little bit more um sharp elbowed really and demanded demanded change actually that would be that would be the thing as long as you know as well as trying to make those little individual choices I, i'm just really sympathetic with the frustrations of people we're all like it we're trying to do the right thing and it's really hard because we don't know which is the right thing quite often and quite often the, the thing that's best just doesn't exist for us so we, we, we need to badger the right people ahead of the, the two COP events later on this year. We will talk closer to those events about exactly what's happening there. And uh, we, we will have a, a bit of a catch up on some of the fantastic projects across our region in the not too distant future as well. But for now, we need your details on how we can find out the work that Pinwheel are doing. So we can find out more about seagrass as well, amongst other things. Yeah, so if you go to uh, pinwheel.earth or www.pinwheel.earth, that's where our website is. On the story section, we've got all the tips on how to plan it repair in your own life. Everything from how to get an electric car through to, you know, which petitions to sign. But then also information about these brilliant projects we've got, like Seagrass, which are the, the real game changers. Well, always good to speak to you. Rob Cheese, right? Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. A third of parents in our city have never asked their kids' football clubs about safeguarding, and a quarter have never spoken to their children about signs of abuse. Tell us more about a new campaign to hopefully avoid a repeat of the awful abuse scandal that took place in football some years ago. I'm joined now by Richard Anderson from High Speed Training, who created a course, and Paul Stewart, ex-England player and abuse survivor. Good afternoon to you both. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Now, first of all, Paul, you've had to tell a very personal story. We saw in 2016 so many players come forward who had been on the end of abuse from people they should have been able to trust. That's right, yeah. I was an 11-year-old, 10-year-old, sorry. Um, when the abuse started, I suffered it for four years, both sexual and physical. And continue to impact the rest of my life uh, and moreover the the loved ones around me so yeah it was it was dark days and which was why i i i sort of um got together with high speed training to help develop this uh, this online safeguarding sport course because i like yourself were amazed at the stats that that, that, that you just uh, mm -hmm. read out and I, I don't want a repeat of what happened uh, to us in the future. So I was very, very keen to get involved in the development of the course. 
Mm -hmm, absolutely i mean we would hope that the convictions would perturb and put off this the type of offender who may do this again but we're talking about some very strange non-normal people here they are not normal thinking they don't work in the same way as everybody else so therefore we have to have concerns and something in place and with parents in wolverhampton believing it's the club's responsibility to create a safe environment understandably uh, this sort of thing needs to be there to help uh, clubs get everything in order to avoid the sort of what was uh, systematic abuse of so many kids yeah and we have to understand that you know they make it very difficult for you to speak out because of the you know my abuser uh, threatened to kill my parents and my brothers um, and I was a 10 year old boy and when you're 10 years of old you believe that and also you have this dream of becoming a footballer as most youngsters or certainly a lot of youngsters do as I did and you believe that they have the ability to give and take the only thing you ever wanted to be away from you so all things like this uh, stop you um, feeling that you can speak out Jason mm -hmm. and having these evil monsters is probably the, the nicest thing I can say about them in positions of power over kids absolutely has to be stopped we can't have yeah. this again and we can't have those suffer the way in which you suffered and uh, coming out the story fortunately you were able to go on and have the career you deserve but it doesn't come without it, it, it it's, it's pain to this day I'm going to take it no I mean it was it, you know, I, I'm, I often say I'd love to have enjoyed um, the career. I look at my stats at Liverpool and, and England and I think I could have played more times. But unfortunately, by then, I'd gone into self-destruct mode and was taking drugs and drinking heavily. You know, I had suicidal thoughts. And, uh, you know, if you looked at me on the front line, you would have thought, He's, he's got everything that he ever wanted to be. Inside, I was dying, Jason. Inside, I was dying. And, I, you know, uh, I, I attempted uh, suicide on two occasions just to get away from the dark days because alone I was an empty soul. So you can understand when I talk about uh, how I felt because as a child, as horrendous as it was, people don't understand the effects it has on your adult life. And this is why I work in the field of safeguarding, but moreover, why I got together with high-speed training to develop the course and, and also um, asked a lot of colleagues within the sporting world to contribute because mm -hmm. I think people need to know, to get educated, uh, to learn how to spot, spot signs of abuse. Um, they need to understand all this because children are our most prized possessions, yet a, a third don't even ask the organisations that they're dropping their children off at, and a quarter don't even speak to the children about it, mm -hmm. yet they, you would argue that they're most prized possessions. Absolutely. And and Richard, when it comes to the work that you're doing with high-speed training here, and it, it's about those signs, it's about seeing what is needed. It's also about getting the education out, not only to the coaching staff, but also to the parents too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it does sound shocking at first that a third haven't spoken to their club about safeguarding procedures. But really, I think there's there's a worry and a fear almost and talking about what is such a sensitive issue so that's why this course it's as much as we 
teach people how to identify signs of abuse, how to respond, how to report them correctly. We want to start a conversation, really, between parents and clubs, which is why we're trying to encourage as many parents and volunteers at sports clubs to take the course free of charge, because we just want people to feel comfortable that they can talk about it. Safeguarding doesn't become this policy or a poster on the wall that's hidden away. It becomes something that's part of the sports club and the ethos of the club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when we're talking here about both physical and sexual abuse, we're talking about only a fraction of a percentage of those who are involved in sport being the problem, but equally distressing and traumatising one child is wrong. Yeah, and, and you know what? We have, you know, most people that, that are involved in sport are really great people. Um, we know that and they're helping children realize their dreams in whatever activity they want to go into but there are an element that do it for one reason and one reason only and there are all forms of abuse you know just abusive people on touchlines or or within within sports clubs so this this recognizes everything this recognizes everything and we need to make sure that you know by 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 taking the course we'll be able to hopefully minimise minimise the risk of these people getting involved at our organisations, Jason. Mm-hmm. So you can drop your kids off without having to think about it because you know that safeguarding's in place. But something to look for is the completion of this course and, and that can help make sure that you, you are comfortable with that. And it, it, So ask the question, find out what is in place in safeguarding and know that if they are they have put all of their stuff through this free of charge course courtesy of uh, of, of, of high speed training then they are as a step on the way to making sure that, that safeguarding is in place perfectly Paul. richard tell us more about how people can actually get involved in this and what sort of sports clubs are eligible yeah so it's free of charge to all parents and sports clubs up and down the country so if you're a volunteer or a parent or you just want to know more about the safeguarding policies that should be in place or understand about signs of abuse if you go to highspeedtraining.co.uk forward slash sport all the info's there for you to understand how to sign up and get the course free of charge Mm -hmm. it's an hour it's an incredibly powerful but engaging survivor-led course and i recommend as many people to sign up and take it uh, and, and Paul, obviously, with the work that you've done, speaking out—I mean, it, in itself, it's difficult to do. And it, but it's still something which—it's it's not something that defines you. It is something which you're working through. Yeah, I mean, you know, if I, you know, and I say this often, Jason, if if, if, if the work that I'm doing just saves one child from going through uh, what I went through, not just as a child, but how it continued through my adult life, then. I'll continue to keep the message out there about safeguarding. Uh, and, and that's what's important. That's my driving force. Well, keep shouting. Make sure that we don't ever have anybody going through the hell that you went through and your peers went through as kids. Paul Stewart, former England player and abuse survivor, and Richard Anderson from High Speed Training. Thank you both for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you, Jason. Too Rough has been making waves at many a film festival over the last few weeks. A short put together by Sam Leonard, who joins me now. Hello, sir. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I trust we find you well and enjoying the attention that this movie's getting. Yeah, yeah, it's been amazing. Um, and yeah, I, I'm obviously always thinking about the next project. So I'm just hoping that it will help advance that, you know, 
But um, yeah, I've been traveling a lot this year. Uh, film festivals are, I've discovered, are just kind of like endless drinking. So <laughs> at some point, your body just collapses. I, I was at BFI Flare and uh, I was, there was a closing party and I said to everyone, I was falling asleep at the dinner table and I was like, <laughs> I'm going to go and sleep for one hour and I'll see you at the party. And I went to the hotel and I woke up and it was 12 hours later and the sun was up and I'd missed the whole party. And yeah, my body had just uh, decided to skip. Uh, <laughs> this, this is part of the wonderful world of, uh, of, of creativity, though. Sometimes you have to schmooze and that's exactly what you're doing there. And that's, so that's all about getting the next project and the next project and the next project to, to, to the screen. But this one is a very personal one, isn't it? Because it's partly autobiographical. Yeah, for sure. Um, pretty much everything in it has happened at some point to me uh, and it just happens all at once kind of uh, in the same place in this film um but I think that's just how I always write um because I feel like I can get to more interest in and in, in more things that I understand if I write about what I know, mm-hmm. you know? well tell us about your characters uh, so Nick the lead character he's played by Ruri Molokai, who did an amazing job. Uh, he is a very sensitive um, gay young man from uh, quite a rough area of Glasgow. And so he's got this sort of hard shell where he's trying to, um, he almost, he is a secret from everyone. He's trying to keep himself um, hidden away. But um, you can tell throughout the film that he needs to just crack and open up. So, um to his to his partner so the whole film is just to me putting him under such stressful conditions that he finally has to just open his heart and charlie his boyfriend is is more middle class and doesn't really have any patience for his predicament or his him his shame almost until he uh, is locked in this bedroom with him in his home and, and begins to understand a different a completely different reality. Uh, when it comes down to acceptance of anyone from any background, there are prejudices all over the place. And this is highlighting uh, it, that in part. And you say, I- I'm concerned for you, the fact that you're at the age of 24 and you've been through this level of prejudice. <laughs> yeah, well, um, the film really deals with, a, with, I think, inner prejudice, which I'm much more interested in, which is like, you know, um, the way we internalise how the world responds to us, uh, how our family responds. And um, I think I'm much more interested in exploring the the inner battle we have with ourselves about whether we're acceptable or not, um, which obviously is linked to, to what we're told. But um, that to me is like the front line of, of, um, of uh, gay people in this day and age it's um a front line that kind of goes on inside your soul of whether you're acceptable or not and it's really difficult to feel acceptable to yourself when you're um told or suggested for for so long that you're unacceptable you know but we all we all go through that but i think it's quite an acute experience with with gay people so, yeah, but in this case, it's sexuality, as you say. It, it, it could be uh, body dysmorphia. It could be any one of a number of different things, which are not 
and should not be a thing, but it builds up to that inside yourself because of a small number of people who are, are not understanding potentially. Absolutely. And all these things are intersectional, you know, um, body dysmorphia and sexuality. So many of these things end up working together. And yeah, I think it's just this, it's just we're such sensitive creatures. And um, I think it's just like a self preservation, a misguided self preservation which is trying to keep us safe and change us so that we um, so that we survive in this world. But actually, when you try and change yourself so violently, you, you end up not being able to survive at all because mm. you're, you're not safe as someone else, you know? Now, I, I know that uh, this uh, is going to be screened in your native Scotland, Edinburgh, as Caesars is part of a festival there. And, and short films very often become part of festivals uh, and almost like a multi-pack that people go off and see, uh, which, which in itself can, can sometimes detract a little bit from the number of times that amazing stories are told in 20, 30 minutes. But uh, it, this is also something which can be found uh, as well through, uh, through other means. Um, but yeah, the film isn't online yet because um, it's still doing festival circuits. But um, yeah, it, uh, I think in the next like six months, it will start to be available, um, you know, more, more widely. And, and in itself, it's, it's almost a, a toolkit in some ways of, of trying to deal with some of the situations that you find yourself in. And, and this, hopefully through this medium, will allow you to reach out to, to somebody who, who you could speak to, to allow them to talk through with their partner a, a situation which we would hope wouldn't exist in, in its, uh, this form in you know, 2022. Yeah, it's, it's a nice uh, way to open up a conversation between people. I think I screened a uh, film and... Uh, film festival in Glasgow and um, there's a scene where my lead character Nick covers his little brother's ears um, and then his boyfriend covers his ears and we've got this image of the three of them and they're protecting each other from from the sound that is going on in the the house uh, which is it's a dangerous household and the um, there was a BSL interpreter at the film festival who was interpreting the Q&A mm -hmm. and she came up to me afterwards and she just said, I wish I'd had someone to cover my ears when I was, when I was young. And she became, she just flooded with tears and so did I. And it was just like, um, like an immediate, we understood each other because we understood where we, what we'd been through without even mm -hmm. really having to say anything. And yeah, film is a, is a great way to, for people to, and just invites people to to open up. And that's why I love it so much. Well, the, the film itself, uh, as you say, will be available uh, in around six months. So part of the film festival circuit at the moment. Where do we go to to track what's going on on the social surrounding this one? And of course, the rest of your work as uh, more projects come to fruition. Yeah, well, you can follow me anywhere on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Sean Leonard. And I always keep um, try to keep people up to date with what's going on. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. so look out for Sean Leonard. You're going to have to spell that for us, Sean, because Leonard isn't as necessarily spelled as you would anticipate. No, uh, L-I-O-N-A-D-H. So check out 
Sean and his work and so uh, be, be inspired by these characters when you do get to meet them and you, do, you kind of get to know them in those 20 minutes as well which I, I think is, is an, as a nice way of, of seeing that film you, you, it's almost like you've got two more friends after you've seen the movie uh, but uh, I say for you and the, and, and the fact that you've put so much of yourself into this as well it's a, it's a, it must be again another triumph that people kind of get to know you too uh, through the work that you've portrayed here and I'm sure that will continue with uh, future projects uh, but for now Shunidar, thank you for joining us uh, that's lovely thank you so much well that's a lot for this week thank you so much for joining me back with episode 686 next week I'll see you then for up and out goodbye from the milk bar goodbye from the milk bar goodbye from the milk bar Goodbye from the milk bar, yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar, yeah.